0: good morning how's everybody today good oh wow good the a on the front row wow well if you'd grab your bible and turn to colossians chapter three if you don't have a bible with you it's going to be on the screen in just a minute you can also turn to the uh, back side of your bulletin the worship guide that you received when you came in and there's also some notes that you can follow along but this weekend we're ending our series on uh, the prisoners blog and basically uh the last, uh, wow, this is the eighth week, uh, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. And this, this uh, four-chapter book of Colossians has a lot to say in the life of a Christ follower. And so we've just kind of been unpacking it every weekend. Uh, this was one of Paul's prison epistles. He was writing this epistle to the church in Colossae as he was awaiting trial in Rome uh, for his faith. And, uh, and he's speaking to Christ followers uh, and in a context that's very similar to the American culture. And, uh, and if this was written not in the first century, but in the 21st century, it probably would have come more in the form of a blog instead of a, an epistle, which basically means a formal letter to the church. And so we've just kind of been walking through this. And, uh, this weekend we're going to talk about work. I know you're real excited about that, right? That's the thing you're trying to forget and trying to hold off until tomorrow. And work is a funny thing, because if you're working just to trade hours for dollars... Uh, you feel like your job's a dead-end job, you feel like it has no purpose, it has no value, maybe you feel less than dignified by, some of the, by the job that you do, um, then this is not a real popular subject with you. It's just something you kind of want to endure and just kind of get through. And some of you in this room, probably many of you in this room, feel that way. There are some of you in this room, too, when we talk about work... Man, your RPMs are going up. You're all of a sudden got a smile on your face. You kind of have a spring in your step. Because what you do in life, the work that you do, it's something that, um, wow, you kind of live life in the sweet spot. You kind of uh, pinch yourself sometimes and think, wow, I get paid to do this. This is my job. This is something that I feel like I'm supposed to do. It's part of the reason why I'm on the planet and we know as Christ followers, when Paul uh, spoke to the church in Ephesus, that um, he says that we're all called in ministry. The question is: Is it marketplace ministry or is it vocational ministry? What I do as a pastor, full time, is vocational ministry. What you would do as living your life as Christ followers in the marketplace is marketplace ministry. And so Paul kind of begins this redeeming work of, of of this redeeming work of work. And what's interesting, though, about work is that work predates the fall of man. Work predates sin. Actually, uh, Adam and Eve had job and job descriptions and work that they did before sin ever entered the world. And so you can't think that your job is of the devil uh, or work is of the devil. Or, you know, it may feel like that from time to time. uh, Or your boss is the devil, right? Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But that this actually is something that God created us to do. And in doing that, there's fulfillment. Now, we know because of the fall of man, because of the sin that, that, that Adam and Eve committed, and thus we all as mankind are a part of, that, that we will work by the sweat of our brow. And it will not be easy. And it will be toiling. But there is a joy and a delight. There is a sweet spot that everybody can get to. Whether you feel like your job is a dead end slave-bound job that you're just trading hours for dollars, or you feel like your job is in the sweet spot of what God has for you. And that's kind of where we pick up where Paul is speaking here. Now, again, he's talking to Christ followers. And in the context of uh, of the day that Paul is speaking, in, there he's dealing with slaves and with masters. And maybe you feel like, yeah, your boss is a slave driver, and you feel like a slave to your boss and to your job. But let's look at this, because the primary workforce... Uh, in, the, in the, the day of Paul in this first century, uh, was composed of slaves. They were people who were owned by others, who had no personal property, who had no control of their destiny, and they pretty much uh, did what the slave owners desired. And in Paul's day, in the Roman Empire, half of the population were slaves. Sixty million scholars tell us. it's a lot of slaves. But the slaves in the lifestyle in the first century were very much unlike slavery that existed in America in the 18th and 19th century. Uh, These slaves in the Roman Empire were farmers, they were blacksmiths, they were educated, skilled individuals, teachers, craftsmen, merchants, sailors, uh, beauticians, doctors, secretaries, cooks, waiters, waitresses, treasurers, messengers, groundkeepers, political assistants, advisors, athletes, uh, mechanics, bodyguards, on and on and on and on and on. They go. These type of deals, this is what they, they did. And so what happened, though, is that many people were either born into slavery or they were, um, or they, they were, because of life circumstances, were kind of found themselves uh, almost kind of how we would view an indentured servant uh, to be able to say, "Hey, in order to make a living, in order to do this, I'm going to have to get involved in slavery. I'm going to have to basically become under someone else's roof because I become widowed, or I'm orphaned, I'm kind of awarded the state, if you would. And, uh, and so then generation after generation, it kind of begat this. So it was a little bit different of a track. Now, in this, in this passage, slavery is not promoted. It's not condoned. Uh, it's not about a racial issue. Because when we say slavery in America today, there's, there's major connotations of that. That's not the context of this. Uh, Paul is not speaking to promote slavery, but speaking to the treatment and the welfare of the slaves. And what you have to understand, he's one of the first, and the church was one of the first, to speak to this issue. And actually, these passages of scriptures will later be used... Uh, many, many centuries later in order to abolish slavery. Because you remember what Paul says earlier in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that there's ne- neither male nor female, there's Gentile or Jew, or Greek or Jew, and there's neither um, slave or free, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that, that we're all equal in the sight of God. He speaks more to the equality of humanity than any public individual of that time. He spoke more to the equality of humanity than anybody had, uh, whether in the synagogue, in the Jewish setting, or in Christian faith, in this newfound faith in the first century. So, although Paul isn't fully objecting to slavery of the day, he is paving the way for the freedom of the slaves and for the ultimate eradication of slavery. Just because, if you're wondering, I'm not promoting slavery. I think slavery is wrong. Uh, the, The Bible does. Uh, Jesus was opposed to it. And and so, but it was a part of the world that people lived in. And what's interesting is, is, and again, these people were free. I mean, he's speaking to the church in Colossians. And so, in Colossae, in this book of Colossians. So he's speaking to slaves and to slave owners. He's speaking to both sets of people that are free to go and worship in church and do what they want to do. So, again... Uh, much more in the context that would be appropriate for this application, because A, of our context, and B, because the way he's writing it, is it be more like an employer-employee relationship. Because in many cases, these things were chosen. So let's, let's, uh, let, let's, let's look at this, because today in our context, um, uh, we kind of have something that feels a little bit like this. It's called labor and management. Um, if you go into any workplace in the nation, you'll hear people talking about their bosses, sometimes as slave drivers. You'll run across people in management who think of their employees a little bit more than slave labor. And there are distinctive differences between the life of a slave and the labor of our day. But the principles that Paul lays down here for the laborers and the workers for the, and the owners still hold true for bosses and laborers today. So let's read this. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, we're going to read through chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm doing this in the message transliteration Uh, Because I just think it's more pungent. It's a little bit more, it kind of really drills down to 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 the core of what he's saying here. Verse 22, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from a heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a Christ follower doesn't cover up for bad work. And masters, chapter 4, verse 1, treat your servants considerately. Be fair to them. And don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master who is God in heaven. Pretty straightforward. And, and so in your notes, he, first of all, he addresses the servant or the employee. And he says this, first of all, stop serving selectively. Stop serving selectively. Don't just do, don't just do the minimum to get you by. Do your best. Stop serving selectively. <clears throat> this is when you serve when how you operate when the boss is looking, and it's different than when the boss isn't looking. So to the employees in the room, for the people that are in the labor force in the room in, in that regard, the, 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 the word of, of the Lord from Paul when it's, when it's dealing with work is you don't have the option to just serve and work when you feel like it or serve and work when you like it or serve and work when the boss is looking and if your work ethic is different when the boss is looking it's different when you're ending up when you're getting ready for quarterly reviews it's different when you're going in for compensation reviews it's different when you're going in for the annual review it's wrong he said you need to be consistent you don't have the opportunity you do your best don't just do the bare minimum we live in a world that does the bare minimum Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's part of why we're we're in some of the mess that we're in. Because we just, well, everybody does this. And this is just the way it works. And this just is it. And some of you right now mentally are checking out on me. Look, I just want to time out. You're not checking out on me. Let's just be honest. You're checking out on God's word. If you're going to check out, just say what it is. If you're not a Christ follower, you're off the hook, man. I'm just going to fry the Christians today. Is that good? All right. But if you're a Christ follower, you say Jesus Christ, heaven is your home, Jesus Christ is the center of your life, then if you're going to check out on this conversation, if you're going to take proverbial scissors to this passage, you're not doing that to me. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I'm simply the messenger. You're checking out on God's word. And again, we don't have the opportunity to serve selectively. We don't have the opportunity to say, well, I don't care because it's not my business and I don't get, I don't get stock options and, and there's no share pro, shareholders program for me and everybody else does this. Paul says, you're not everybody. You're a Christ follower. And what you do matters. He's going to really up the ante in a minute. What you do, God pays attention to. What you do has eternal effects. Do you know as a Christ follower, we probably should be the hardest working people in the workforce? We should be the people that are retained. We should be the people that are sought after. Why? Because of our integrity, because of our work ethic, because of our character, because of our follow-through, because we don't do what everybody else does, and we'll tell you the truth, and we'll say it right, even if it costs us, even if it puts us a little bit in jeopardy, even if it's against everything else. We should teach and train our kids to be the exact same way. You be honest. You, you, don't, you don't just get to call in sick because you want to take the day off. You don't get to just do this just because, what well, everybody else says, well, this is just the way it works. Well, this no, 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 no that you, to the best of your ability, follow out what the expectations of the organization or the company that you work for and the bosses and the management that you serve under or with. Paul says, secondly, you need to begin to start serving, first of all, passionately. Passionately. Some of you go, I'm in a dead-end job. He's talking to slaves, people. And he's saying, serve passionately with all of your heart. Work from your heart. Don't work from your hands, don't work from your head, don't work from how you felt yesterday, work from your heart. And the question is, am I working from my heart or do I just hate my job? Because ultimately God knows. Ultimately God knows. He says you need to make sure that what you do, you work from your heart. Now let me stop here just for a second. And I want to talk to people that have not really yet entered into the, to a career path. You're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college, maybe you're a college dropout living with mom and dad in the basement. And that's a good life right now, but it's not a great future. And let me talk to you for a second. It's hard to be passionate about a job when you're just simply trading your hours for their dollars. When you're working 50, 49 weeks, 50 weeks a year for a two, three week time off. It's hard to be passionate and work from your heart when you're just having to do it to put food on the table and pay the bills. It's hard to be excited about what you do when you hate your work, but you do it because it pays. I grew up in a family where, in a blue-collar family, and um, uh, great parents, wonderful mom and dad. And uh, my dad worked, he's retired now, he worked for uh, was General Electric that was bought out by a train out of lacrosse and uh, worked um, my entire life. One summer, my dad thought it would be a good experience for me to work at the factory. Now, this is Arkansas, no air conditioning. We're building air conditioning units, which was totally ironic to me. <laughs> Serious, for major industrial buildings. These weren't, uh, com- these weren't home, these were commercial grade. And we were literally like long sleeves, jeans aprons because you're pulling these coils out and you're combing the coils there, and you're, setting them, you're putting the copper, copper pipes on for the guys. You had to do 60 units a day. We're working four tw- uh, 12-hour shifts or four 10s and then overtime. It was great money. But it was, that's the, that was my motivation for working was the money was just great. you know And I remember one day getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to work with my dad. And, uh, and I said you know, is this like a job that you chose? Like, is this what you got graduate high school and you said, this is what you wanted? Because some people, it's just, you know, they love that. It's great. It's awesome. And he said, nope. I said, then why did you do it? How did you do it? Why do you do it? Again, I'm 19. I'm idealistic. You can do anything. You can still be president of the United States, right? I'm still in that world. Because he's paying the bills, Right. But my dad said this. He said, because I had a wife and I had two sons. And he said, that's why your butt's in college. Because your grandparents didn't have the opportunity to high school education. And mom and I were able to graduate high school, but we're not able to go to college. And if this is the work you want to do with your life, that's great. This is great work. These are good people. This is my life. I'm very proud of what I'm able to do. And it's provided very well. But I did this not because of money. I did did, did this not because I I, I got up and said, this is what I want to do with my life. I did this because this was a good, secure, good benefits job for my family. And I do as unto the Lord. And he said, if this is what you want to do, that's great. But an education is what's going to give you the opportunity to have choice. Because he said, it's one thing to choose to do it. It's another thing to have life choices that choose it for you. Let me talk to you junior high, high school, and college-age students. Make sure that in this opportunity of life that you have, that you don't just do life and all of a sudden life puts you into a box that you have no choice in what you're going to do. But you're at a place in your life where you have the ability to choose and have choices. And in this great country that we live in, you can get an education, And you're able to choose whatever you want to do. That's the reason why your parents are harping on you about your grades and about an education. It's not about what you do, right or wrong. It's about you having the ability to have a choice in the matter. Because the reason why some people don't, really enjoy what they do is because they don't do it because they like it they do it because it pays the bills and that's an even harder place to be to be passionate about something that you're just trading hours for dollars it's just it's very it's very hard to get excited about it but paul says hey whatever you're doing whether you're a slave you're a slave owner whatever you're doing you've got to work outside of your heart why because god's watching the second thing he says is you got to start serving diligently he just keeps ratcheting it up you've got to begin to serve diligently Whoa, 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 what what do you mean? You're confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Whoa. So not only is God watching me, this is tied to my inheritance. This is tied to my eternity. What I do Monday through Friday affects my eternity as a Christ follower. You read that? This isn't stock options. He's not talking about a pension here. He's talking about eternal reward, inheritance. So what that means is, is whether I like the job that I'm in, whether I feel like I'm a a slave, whether I feel like I'm just trading hours for dollars, or I'm living life in the sweet spot and I'm passionate about it because I've got a choice and I've got an opportunity, regardless where I am in the whole deal, I've got to be diligent. That means I have to work as unto the Lord. I have to work when no one's looking. How do you work when no one's looking? You live in Cubicleville and you're in an office complex and you're on a computer all the, da- all the time. Do you have like a boss button that you hit because you're playing solitaire throughout the day? So when the boss comes through, boom. Oh, you didn't think we knew about that. Yeah. Boom, that's it. Are you like the, 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 you know, uh, the MySpace administrator, the Facebook administrator, that that's where you are? And people go, how do you keep up with that? Because you're not doing your work. You're playing MySpace. You're playing Facebook. You're doing, oh, wow, social media, Pastor. But what about it? Are you taking, how, are you taking the amount of breaks you're supposed to be taking? Are you going extra long and doing this and that? But everybody does this. Do you stand around the clock to punch out 20 minutes before just going wait until that thing goes? Oh, I learned a lot that summer working at that plant because it was a union plant, and my and and my dad is a union president. And I grew up cutting the grass at the local UAW, thinking, "Wow, wow, what's all this?" And and I got a real education that summer. There was verbiage that I heard from management and from labor force. Where were words that I knew existed, but I didn't know you could put those words together. And whoa, wow, wow. Then I said that to my mom, and um, right. And then I would watch people, and they would just like. And I'd tell my dad, hey, do you, do you see this? Like, If I ran this company, if I owned this business, this way, I'd fire this guy. Da, 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 da. But he says that he's protected because of this and that and da-da-da-da-da. And he said, yeah, but you watch. They'll come in. He said, I've been around here a long time, boy. He said, there'll come a downturn, and they'll lay his butt off. There'll come an upturn, and he won't be rehired. Because we're watching to make sure people are productive. And we have conversations, and we do that I mean, diligently. It makes a difference. It, it, it makes a difference. And so, so, so at the end of the day, it's, 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 am, I coming, am I coming to work late and leaving early when the boss is gone, when no one's looking, what am I doing? Am I taking office supplies from the place? Am I, am I taking advantage of the situation? Am I treating it fairly? Am I doing things on company time that I should be doing on personal time? Am I expecting someone to pay for that? Is my excuse because everybody else does it? Paul says, you have to be diligent in what you're doing. Diligent. And the next thing he says is that, in verse 23, you need to be serving excellently. Serve excellently. Why? Because the Bible says, keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Keep in mind the ultimate master that you're serving is Christ. Is my attitude towards my work the same as my attitude towards God. I didn't think they had to be. That's what he says. Again, I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. Some of you are going, Man. Am I finishing my work? Do I, do I come early? Do I leave late? Do I, because my job, my name is attached to it? I mean, can I tell you something? Your name is the most precious thing you have. And if you can buy someone's name, that's a huge character statement about that individual. Proverbs says that, that, that a name is priceless. It's, it's above any jewel, it's above any rarity. It's your name. It's your name. My dad used to tell me, you're not just representing you, you're representing us. You're representing your grandparents. You're representing your family. And you better represent me well or else. And I knew what the or else meant, right? Because my dad could use a belt like Indiana Jones could use a whip. And I'm just telling you, he would, you know. The, the, the deal is, 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 um, is, am I serving excellently? Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. It didn't say whatever your hand finds do that you like. It didn't say whatever your hand finds do that you enjoy. It didn't, didn't say whatever. It says do it as unto the Lord. Give it your best. Give it your all. Do everything. Here's the deal. Work not for your earthly boss, but work for your heavenly father. Because ultimately that's what you're doing. And when you work for your, how would you work for God if you're working for God? How would you do that? Well, well, God wouldn't talk to me like that. Maybe not. Well, God wouldn't have me do jobs like that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I know this is what Paul's telling these guys. Hey, work is unto the Lord. Work excellently. Do excellent work. Show up early. Stay late. Work hard. Do. Give. And and, and you go, but why? Because God's the one that rewards you. God's the one that sees you. Do, do you really think that you're working, that, 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 that your job is your source. See, that, that, that's the whole crux of the matter. Well, they pay my paycheck. <laughs> the Bible says God is the one who brings promotion. God is the one that brings increase. God is the one that can reign on the righteous or the unrighteous. God is sovereign most high, and he gives the kingdoms of this world to anyone he wishes. Never, listen to me, never think for a minute that your boss or your company or your paycheck is your source. Because if that's what it is, you have shrunk your world down to that little company. And you better pray to a holy God that they don't go bankrupt, that they don't go into default, that they don't have to file chapter 11, 7, 13, or 14. You better pray to the good Lord that that happens. But when you serve for Him, guess what? If one thing dissolves, God will open another thing. If one door shuts, God will open another door. If one thing goes, goes bad this way, God will open here. When people begin to speak all manner against you, it's all through the Scripture. God will raise up a standard against them. And even if you have to walk through the fire, you won't even smell of smoke. I'm telling you, I'd much rather have the last option and work for God than to have to put, my, put all my chips in, in, in whatever company, XYZ123. Because there's no guarantee, baby, that company's going to be around. There's no guarantee that that's going to be there. And that's the reason why Paul's saying, don't you get it? That's the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Whether you're in a dead-end job or you're living the sweet spot of your life, whether you get up at four in the morning and you like it or you hate it, whether you're trading hours for dollars, or this is you can't believe that you get paid to do what you do. Regardless of what you do, you work as unto God. And when you work as unto God and you and you serve passionately and diligently and excellently before God, God will reward you. Forget your boss, forget the company, forget the economy. He's God. Do you think for a minute that God's sweating it because the economy went down? And you go, well, you just don't understand. No, I don't mean to be rude, crude, or socially unacceptable, but you're not reading the book. And that's what Paul is telling them. It doesn't matter where you are and the whole chain of life. God is in control. And God can provide. And God can produce. And God can take nothing and bring something out of it. God can take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. As a matter of fact, that's what he specializes in. When the world says it's impossible, God says, uh. <laughs> It's like saying sick to a dog. He is on it like white on rice. It's going to happen. Do you get that? That's the God that we serve. Amen. So whether you own the company or you feel like the company owns you, remember you're not owned by anybody but him. You don't serve for anyone but for the audience of one. And Paul says this is the most liberating thing. And he said so in in, in keeping with that, verse 24 and 25, serve expectantly. Begin to expect that God's going to produce in your life. Begin to expect. Why? Because God's watching the job that you're doing. Because you'll give an account for God. Because you'll be judged, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Friday. But God will reward you, whether it's today or tomorrow or both. He will do it. That's good news. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. God will do it. You're not in a dead-end job. You're working for your inheritance. And God will provide. And God will see you through. And God will do those things. Now the last portion of what he talks about is in chapter 4 verse 1. He talks to the masters. He talks to the bosses. He talks to the employers. And here's what he says. Lead well by treating employees the way you would want to be treated. Lead well by treating employees, the people that work with you and for you, the way you would want to be treated. The golden rule. Lead well by treating employees the way you would want to be treated. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, Be fair, and be just, and understand you will ultimately give an account before God. Be fair, be just, and understand you will ultimately give an account before God. Be fair, be just, and understand you will ultimately give an account before God. You're a boss. You're in management. Middle management, upper management. You own the company. Uh, you, you, you work for a, for, a, uh, for a Fortune 100, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 company. Whatever you work for, however it works. You, you There's three people or 3,000 people that report to you, regardless where you feel in the spectrum. If you're in leadership, if you're in management over people, he says you need to be fair be just and be accountable, but I've got to make some 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 cuts because of the economy. That make sure that you're fair and that you're just and that and that you're gonna and understand you're gonna give an account before God. But, but we've got to have some. I've got to fire an individual because of uh, of a non compliance to some standards that we have. That make sure that you're fair and that you're just and you're ultimately going to give an account before God. Well, we we've got to reduce the size of our workforce and we're gonna to have to move part of our workforce over here and over here. It's gonna cause some problems and we don't know how it's actually gonna pan out or people gonna stick with us. Be fair, be just, and understand you're gonna give an account before. God we're selling the company, we're in the middle of a merger I don't know what's going to happen with some management jobs and things of this nature, be fair be just, and understand you're giving an account before God do you understand every one of us whether we're employer or employee whether we're a labor force or we're in management, we all give an account, we all submit ourselves to someone none of us just work for ourselves It's ultimately to him. Because he says, hey man, remember that you have a master in heaven. You don't get off the hook. You don't get to do what you want to do. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be fair, to be just to the people that work with you and for you. You have a responsibility to understand that you're going to give an account for the way that you lead. So you better lead well. You're going to give an account for your leadership, so you better provide good leadership. You're going to give an account for how you treat these people, so you better think about these decisions before you you affect their lives. You may have to fire some people. You may have to cut the workforce. You may have to move some things. You may have to have some tough decisions and some hard conversations. But at the end of the day, understand you must be just, you must be fair, and you must understand that you're going to give an account before God. So lead well. This reminds me of Daniel. Daniel. The book of Daniel is not a huge book, but it's in the Old Testament. And if you're in management, leadership, or you aspire to that, I'm telling you, that is the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest book in the Bible to digest on leadership. It's phenomenal. There is so much in there on leadership. And this guy, Daniel, was this young Jewish young boy who was a scholar. He was brilliant. He had leadership skills. He had ability. And and he he was raised basically to be, he was raised and cultivated to be a great leader for Israel. Matter of fact, scholars tell us he probably would have become the prime minister in in Israel. I mean, he was a great man. Character, integrity. Uh, He he practiced it. He lived it. He had a passionate faith before God. Uh, Had an incredible work ethic. But the problem was, when he was in his late teens, Israel was overtaken by the Persians, by the Babylonian Empire. And so now, this nation that he loved, this nation he was raised up in, he was raised up in in, in freedom. And now, all of a sudden, they're taken into captivity. And he's brought in as a slave, basically, into this new nation. And he thinks, my dreams and my future is gone. And everything that I've worked for is going to be reduced down to me just Just eking out an existence. And we may not even survive And the way they're going to treat us. And and on and on and on and on and on on it goes. Because this was the greatest empire on the face of the planet at that time. Let me tell you something. Parenthetical thought here. Just because you're poised and you've been prepared, you feel like to do A, and all of a sudden everything turns on you, and, and everything changes up, and everything gets mixed up, and you thought you were going this direction, but all of a sudden you're facing this direction. Understand, that doesn't catch God by surprise. And what God was actually doing was, although Daniel thinks he's being prepared and poised to be this great leader of his nation, he's actually get, been given the skill set in order to be the voice of God and to one of the most vile, ungodly pagan empires and he will serve under three administrations the entire time being the captive country the entire time never being entitled to but God will raise him up because remember God's the one that brings promotion promotion the Bible says doesn't come from the east or the west but it comes from God above so Daniel just just serves God and he just trusts in God and all of a sudden he's put into some very precarious situations, situations that quite frankly we can we can identify with. The, the first of which he he because of his of his intellect and because of his pedigree and all of this, uh, when the Babylonian Empire when the Persians came in to overtake, they they found out who was in leadership and who who was being bro- groomed for leadership and they brought all those people in and they didn't just make everybody slave laborers. They brought those individuals in and said, okay, what do you have to bring to the table? Maybe you can help us advance the empire. Maybe Maybe you can help us do this. And so they put them through a battery of tests. And the book of Daniel tells us that Daniel's put in this precarious situation because they bring them through this battery of mental tests, physical tests, and they eat a select diet. And the diet was the diet of the king's table, which pertained food that would violate his faith before God. You ever been put in a situation where you're asked to go and eat and entertain and drink because everybody does it? And how do I get out of this? And what do I do with this? And how do I navigate this? And what happens if I lose my job? In his situation, what happens if they just sever my head from my shoulders? So Daniel goes. And he doesn't go and he doesn't stand up on the street corner and and say, thus is the word of the Lord. He doesn't go and send all of them to hell. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this and wears his Christian t-shirt and brings his Thompson Chain reference Bible to work the next day. He just simply says, hey, let me talk to you, Fred, the guy in middle management. I know you're not making all the decisions. I know you're just carrying out what you're doing. But i got to ask you something. I kind of have a problem with the diet. There's just some issues my personal faith and that kind of a deal. And uh, how about we do this? And Fred goes, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Man, I cannot deviate from this because if I don't do this right, then the king will come in. Nebuchadnezzar will have my head on the platter. Better your head than my head. He goes, whoa, whoa, let's just try this. Me and and my compadres here, we're all kind of in the same boat. We want to serve, want to serve well, want to do all this. But we can't do this. How about you allow us to eat and drink a diet that's, that's consistent with our faith and do some things that are consistent with our faith. And you test us before we test. You test us before the king will test us. And just see if we're not smarter, faster, better, if we don't just ace everything. If we don't ace it all, we'll do it your way. Because, see, the big problem was part of it was the food was offered up to idols, and that was in violation to their relationship with God. And there were some other things that that were involved in that. So the middle management guy, Fred, he kind of, his name really isn't Fred, but we'll use that for our context. And so he he basically says, okay, I'll let you do this. And the Bible says that they test Daniel and these other Hebrew men, and they test at the top of the class. I mean, they're astonished. He said, okay, go ahead. You can do what you want to do. And 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 then 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 Daniel, you know, he goes into a deal where he's thrown into the to the lions den because the king made a decree that he couldn't pray and and except to him and, and so Daniel continues his, his faith with God because and not not in rebellion but just that's what he did and because he trusted that God was going to take care of him and God did take care of him shut the li- mouths of the lion and once again it proved to these people it proved that 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 God was 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 in control. And uh, so Daniel is promoted to advisor to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's promoted to like third in the empire. This is huge. I mean, read Western civilization. The Babylonian Empire was huge. And Nebuchadnezzar brings Daniel in and says, man, nobody can interpret this dream, and I'm told that you can. And Daniel interprets his dream. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, remember this. This is what God wants to say to you. That God... So that the living may know that the most sovereign is over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar, understand that God is sovereign over the most high, and he gives the kingdoms of men to anyone he wishes. It's in your notes. In essence, Nebuchadnezzar, leadership is a stewardship, you're accountable, and it's temporary. Nebuchadnezzar, leadership is a stewardship. It's a gift that God's given you. God is sovereign most high, and he gives the kingdom of this world to anyone he wishes. You're accountable, ultimately, to him. And understand it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. You're not going to last forever. There's going to come an end to your existence. There could become an end to your reign. And Nebuchadnezzar takes that and walks that out through some pretty tumultuous times. Then you fast forward and, and, and you fast forward to, to 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 Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is like hell, hell on wheels, man. He is like wheels off, total lush, total party guy. And he's actually having this party about how great Babylon is and how great his leadership is. And he actually went in and, and went in and got the gold and the silver from God's temple from when they overtook Jerusalem and said, this stuff was only used for Daniel's God for Jehovah God we will use it to party with and desecrates it and all of a sudden in the middle of his party and his LSD trip there's a hand from heaven that comes down and begins to write on the wall and it wasn't drugs and it wasn't alcohol that they were seeing and sobriety hit the place pretty fast. But he began to write in such a way that they couldn't read it, they couldn't interpret it. So Belshazzar brings in every spiritualist, and brings in every new age, brings in every witch, every wizard, every person they could, and nobody could break it. But they all said, we know one who knows God. Can I tell you something? When you serve well and when you lead well, the secular world, the ungodly world, the pagans of this world will recognize the hand of God on your life. You don't have to preach a message. You don't have to preach a sermon. You just lead well because they understand that the sovereign is, 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 is most high and he's over the kingdoms of this world and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And when they begin to see, they'll see God's hand in your life. And when they recognize God's hand in your life, they'll bring you into the office. They'll bring you into the forefront. They'll bring you. And God will begin to open up doors and open up opportunities and give you favor where nobody else had access to. Why? Because God gives you gifts that brings you before kings. That's what Proverbs says. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And Nebuchadnezzar brings Daniel in and says, I'm told that you can read this. He said, I can read this. He said, but before I read this, let me tell you something, Belshazzar. I told your father many years ago, thus saith the word of the Lord, that the sovereign God is sovereign over the Most High, and He gives the kingdoms of this world to anyone He wishes. Belshazzar, leadership, leading is a stewardship, and you are accountable to Jehovah God, and it is temporary. Belshazzar's like, Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something leadership is a stewardship, you're accountable, and it's temporary. God is sovereign over the Most High and He gives these kingdoms of this world to anyone He wishes and you don't have control over that. Yeah, yeah, but what does this say? It says your time is up. Western civilization and Daniel both confirm this. That night, the Medes, under the leadership of King Darius, come in through this impregnable city of Babylon through the waterways shut it down and they destroy the city from the inside out and bring the kingdom down in one fell swoop. Because God is sovereign over the Most High. And he gives the kingdoms of this world to anyone he wishes. And man and entity and Satan himself cannot stand before God. And if you are leading, if you're desiring to lead, if you're in management, you need to understand something. You will give an account to God for the way that you lead the people, the company, and the the world in which you live. And that your leadership is temporary. It's not forever. The only thing that's forever is him. And that it is a stewardship. And that we're responsible for this. I don't know all the whys of where you work and why you work and how you work, but I know that God has a reason for you to be there. And don't work like there's no God, because there is a God. If there was no God, there'd be no purpose, no meaning, no significance to your work. There'd be no right or wrong at work. There would be no hope at work. But there is a God. And because there is a God, He has made you for a reason. And your work, regardless how dead end you feel it is, how how hopeless you may feel it is, how trapped you may feel, or how satisfied and fulfilled that you feel, understand your work has eternal significance. And you can just work for your boss or you can work for God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And some of us think, our nothing, uh, we think we're in nothing jobs, that we just shuffle mounds of paperwork or we're just digging holes and filling them up or, or what we do, nobody sees the tasks that we perform day in and day out. But I'm telling you, God is sovereign over the Most High. And God sees your work. And your nothing tasks actually have dignity because you're doing them as unto God. So I just want to encourage you today. Work for God. I want to encourage you today that, that, that when you work for God, it gives, job, it gives dignity to every single job that we do. It gives purpose to your job, and that purpose will begin to produce passion. It's not meaningless work. It's not overwork that wears us down or that saps our strength. It's when we have no purpose. But the purpose in your job, even if you don't like your job, is that you're not working for yourself. You're ultimately working for Him. That it doesn't just affect a paycheck, but it affects eternity. Because how we work affects what happens on the other side. Not just here and now, but in in heaven. You're working for the Lord rather than people. And Christ is a real master that you serve. So serve well. I want to pray for you today. Father.